Okay, we've been talking in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, the filling of the Spirit. And we talked last time about, uh, uh, about the results of the filling of the Spirit. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, 18. In Ephesians 5, 18, we read, uh, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And the comparison there is to uh, drunkenness, which uh, alcohol takes over the uh, thought process. And on the other hand, when you're filled and controlled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes over the thought process. And the result of that, we looked at it, was in verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, and we talked about the worship service and the importance of that and all that is regarded and pointed out that singing, making melody is part of the worship of God to God and is part of our worship and our responsibility. And, and we kind of define some of these, what psalms basically would be the singing of the psalms. There are 150 of them. And some morning we should probably practice that and sing the 119th Psalm. <laughs> and go through that. Somebody can put it to music. So, uh, like we said, the music is not, got, there's nowhere in the Bible tells you exactly what kind of music uh, people, uh, they say, they, that is put down as a biblical music. It's a music basically the culture is accustomed to. If you go to Brazil and listen to a church there or a church in Honduras, uh, you go to a church and listen to them, uh, you would find out the music is Brazilian. And uh, they play Brazilian music. And in Honduras, they have very similar. And if you went to the south part of the United States, it would be a little different music then you would play probably in Minnesota. So uh, it, all, it all varies to some extent. And the main key is you do not want the music to distract from the words. You do not want the music to distract from biblically sound words. And sometimes the music, you like the music so much that you're willing to sing a song that is not doctrinally correct. And uh, that happens quite often. And so you get used to singing the song, and it's not doctrinally correct. Now, does God ever favor uncorrect doctrine? Does he in music? Well, that was weak. No, he doesn't. So it's important that we sing solid music or solid words, put to music that enhance the words, as opposed to distract from them. Music a lot of times affects the heart before it affects the mind. It affects the emotions before it affects the minds. But when you have good music put to good words, 
then it, it, it brings up during the week, during the day, you can hear a song and it's encouraging and, and uh, lifts your spirit. Music does that. Remember when uh, Saul had his times of depression and whatever else you might call it, they called a young man in to play for him. Remember that? David came in and played his harp, and it soothed, it soothed Saul. So good music, just plain old good music without words, can uh, be soothing and helpful. And then you have band music when people go to war, they whip you up with music and uh, make you uh, encourage you to go out and face the enemy. So music has all kinds of things and biblical. We, we ended with the word with singing down here. It said, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Uh, singing, take a look at Psalm 27, verse 6, Psalm 33, verse 3. Psalm 27, verse 6, Psalm 33, verse 3. Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yeah. Okay, so singing praises is part of the worship. How about uh, the next verse that I had down here? Uh, Psalm 33.3. God likes music, but he likes it done skillfully. Sometimes it takes a little practice. And uh, we don't always appreciate the instrumental that we have in church where uh, prior to the service or playing during our songs, uh, while we sing, we may come in and open a hymn book and sing, but the people who are accompanying our singing have spent hours uh, doing this and playing the music. So uh, we appreciate that to be done skillfully. Furthermore, it's in the New Testament where to sing, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, and James 5, 13, where the same word is used. In, a, in these passages, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, <clears throat> where we're talking here about the confusion of speaking in tongues, and Paul uses this example in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. So in other words, when we're singing or praying, rather than some gibberish or speaking in tongues, which no one understands, not even necessarily the person speaking. He doesn't know what he's speaking. <clears throat> so the mind goes into, flips into some mindless chants, whereas Paul says it should be, if I'm going to pray, I should pray with the mind. If I'm going to sing, I should sing with the mind. So again, I think that hints again about singing sound teaching, singing sound doctrine. So be uh, so. examine the words of the songs that you hear and sing them with gusto. I've gone into churches and uh, music, the band was so blooming loud I couldn't even hear the words. 
you've been there? I know of a church where they, uh, or when you walk in, <laughs> and they say, if you don't like it, go to another church. Well, good for them. They give you the option. That's what I thought. You plus the sermon and the Well, I've I've been in churches where you should have earplugs for both. Um, the the problem is, we're in churches there. We're we're in an era where music is entertainment, and uh, people go to church where the music is because of the entertainment. The point of the music is not entertainment, though it may have that value. I'm not denying that. But um, the music is to draw you to think about the Lord. And some of the music is uh, more testimonial to think of your devotion to the Lord or, or of that nature. It can be either praise to God or it can be a testimonial type music or a testimony uh, like following Jesus or... Uh, uh, being encouraged to pray, whatever the music can do that and enhance that. But uh, and it can be written in such a way that the music is pleasing to the ear and has sort of an entertainment value. I'm not denying that. But when I go to some of these concerts, like I've gone to Southern Gospel concerts and I've gone, I really and pay thirty-five dollars a ticket. I really don't care to hear them preach. I'm there for the entertainment. And uh, I, I, I don't care for the preaching necessarily because it's so emotional. And you say, why do you go? Uh, I like the music, the entertainment value. But I don't know that I'd like a church full of it. So there's a lot of personal likes and dislikes when it comes to music. And uh, I've been through several kinds of music. When I started in ministry in 1961, it was straight, it was straight hymn books. We sang out of the hymn books. And a lot of people, the, the churches that I started out, they didn't sing, uh, they all sang in unison, basically. Maybe some people who had been in music classes sang harmony, but most of it was unison. And then it turned to um, hootenannies. Remember Peter, Paul, and Mary, that, that group? Anybody remember them? And that kind of music took over, and churches had uh, kind of like hootenanny music. And then uh, I, I remember John Peterson came in and springs of living water filled my soul. Springs of living water filled my soul. Happy now am I, my soul. That kind of music, 50s with a 50s ring to it. And I sat in uh, at a Bible school where I went, college. Um, I never, when the organist played the music, I never knew 
when it, when it started, and I never knew when it ended. It was just up and down and a bunch of notes. Called it classical. And uh, the choral, the guy that led the chorale, he too was of that ilk. And so they gave a chapel what was wrong with uh, John Peterson music because it was swinging. So I walked out and I said to my friend, up till now, I didn't know the organist could play it till he played Skater's Waltz, which he said was the kind of music it was. Corral director was right behind me and my voice carried. <laughs> and so I got a short little lecture right there. But, so it's, it's in your taste, a lot of it. I don't mind classical music uh, once in a while. But... Um, it's all in your taste. And I've gone through that. Then we went through uh, rock came in. Rock music came in and affected a lot of church music. And that's probably been... Uh, uh, I, I'm not... I never got into rock. I got into country music. Uh, and so I never got into the rock scene. But uh, I did get into the Elvis Presley. But he's gone and his music's gone. But, uh, so it's all in your taste, a lot of it. But my standard rule is, my, my standard rule and what I take it to be is that our singing ought to be to the Lord. It ought to be orderly, it ought to be done well, and it ought to be doctrinally correct. And you ought to be able to understand it when you hear it played. Any comments? So we try to offer a, a balance here with our, our music people. Okay, we'll leave the next one. The next thing about the Holy Spirit in the church is he creates unity in the church. Look at Ephesians 4.3. Ephesians 4.3. Okay, you don't create unity, you preserve it. The Spirit has created the unity. That we are brothers and sisters in the Lord, we are worshiping one Lord, and we are worshiping one, and we follow one word. Hopefully it's a word that has been interpreted Literally, and it's our position to preserve that. And when we hear things that cause disunity, we should be uh, doing what we can to preserve the unity. And a divided church accomplishes nothing. Clicks in the church accomplish nothing but divisions. And so... Uh, these kinds of things we need to work to preserve, that they don't happen in our watch. And I've been in conversations with people and the conversation got maybe a little bit critical of what's going on in the church. And I remember in one occasion, one of the ladies in the conversation said, I think we're getting out of line on this conversation. We need to get back to something else. And She put a damper on it right now and man was I thankful for her 
and uh, these are things you shouldn't be talking about somebody, anybody else until you've talked to them first. If you don't like the message or you like the doctrine that's coming from the message, come to the guy who's given it. If you have some question about what's going on in the building, uh, go to the people who are responsible for the building. If you've got some question about those kinds of things before you mouth off to somebody else, go talk to the people that are involved. Why is that so difficult? Because the devil wants to not have unity in the church. That's why. And the flesh likes that. Prayer requests can even become prayer requests can be even become a mild form of gossip. Man, it's, it's it is unbelievable how how the devil works. Take a look at verses four. Chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, I'll read them. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Do you like it when somebody make, criticizes your family? Now, you know it's your family has its own faults, right? Every one of our families has its own faults, and we know it. But do you like to hear it from somebody else? I don't. And I, I, I become very defensive. Everybody that's born again in this room is a brother and sister of each other. Physically, our closest relative is our brother or sister from the same parents. Right? You're united by physical blood. But you and I are united by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's even more important. And you're going to spend eternity together. And so we are really closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ than we are actually our relatives. So speak truth. 26. 426 of Ephesians. Be angry and yet do not sin. There's a point over which you can be angry when you hear of what happened like in this little school in Nashville. When you see this guy walk in and shoot children and administrators, that can make you angry, right? Or you see the sin on that was displayed on the capital of, of Nebraska in this transgender deal. That makes you angry. But there is a limit on that. Take a look at the rest of the verse. Do not let the sun go down on your what? Settle it that night. <coughs> Commit it to the Lord and let it go. Don't let it build up in your opportunity. And then in verse 7, he explains that don't, do not give the Devil, an opportunity. Somebody that continually holds anger. Boy, they can ruin a lot of things in a hurry. Man, they can make it miserable for a lot of people in a hurry. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor, 
performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. How do we know when a robber quits robbing? Right. If he quits, we don't know if he's just between jobs. But we know when he starts working and giving it away, he has ceased to be a robber. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but such only as good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so it will give grace to those who hear. Wow. Somebody in the church this morning needs your encouragement and my encouragement. So speak words that are encouraging to one another. Encourage them. If it's nothing more than saying, hey, I just see you and I just it just reminds me I need to pray for you and, and I will be doing that. If you have anything special, let me know. Or I hope you have a good day, right? <clears throat> Cautious, but I'm going to go here. It's not just the words in here and in the foyer, but our conversation outside of Sunday morning, our, what we post on social media, and what we say there is a huge reflection, and whatever we put out there, you can't get back. Yeah, I'm surprised what I see on social media. So I don't get too involved in it. I put out a verse a day, and uh, and that that's my uh, wholesome words. That's what I say a day, so that's about all I use social media for. Because I've seen some stuff that, even written by church people, that shocks me. And not just in our church, but others that I know are in church. Just see what you say. <coughs> And I have to work at being uh, wholesome when I get these spam calls. <laughs> it's hard for me to be nice. So I just hit the hang-up button. Okay. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. We'll talk about a little bit maybe this morning and next week. But grieving the Holy Spirit is having sin in your heart that you're not willing to deal with. If you've got anger in your heart, or you've got bitterness in your heart, and you're holding it against somebody else, your prayers are not being answered. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. Brian. Does uh, complaining and muttering, is that unresolved anger, or is that just... Uh, could, be. I mean, it could be. Yeah. It's complaining and anger is that you're really saying you know, more, you know better than God. Right? <clears throat> A good passage in that is in... I'm forgetting, I think it's in James 4, but I'm bridling the tongue that steers the ship. And just that tiny little rudder on the ship is what steers the giant ship while our, our tiny little muscle in our mouth is uh, steering our heart and our ship. Well, that could flip in a hurry. Yeah, it's crazy. That little tongue can go in a hurry. 
and it, and it goes and it goes fast. Would you agree? So it's a major cause of sin and disruption. It can be used for good. Good words heal. Encouragement heals. How many times have somebody complimented you and um, it just lifted you up? It's amazing. I can uh, I can stand at the uh, worship of the worm service after the service. They come and say, nice sermon, nice sermon, whether they mean it or not. And then I get one real criticism. Guess what would I hang on to? You hang on to that. Why? It's like a guy walks through a beautiful pasture and the only thing he sees is one cow pile. <laughs> my husband looks at my flower beds and he doesn't see the flowers. He sees one weed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Leo. <laughs> You're not alone. Okay, verse 31. So confess that sin. Confess the sin of bitterness. And he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's a filling of the Spirit. I would say we all have a lot of work to do. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Now here's a coup de grace. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. What has not Christ forgiven you? He's forgiven you everything. He paid for. So let's not cling to those things else. That's a, this is all a result of the filling of the Spirit. Any more comments on that? That's convicting enough. I think we can move on. Yes, uh, Rachel. It was about the gossip. I When I joined Faith's Bible study, um, it was the first women's Bible study that didn't do prayer requests. They, if you wanted to share something, you could, but there wasn't really a space for prayer, um, for prayer requests. And I was so encouraged by that because um, I've never seen that done before. And just the wisdom I got in the car and was talking to Anna, and I'm, I was just so convicted uh, or encouraged, I guess, that there was no space for um, chatter and unwholesome talk in there. And so it was something cool that I'd never seen done before. Yeah, that can be. It can, yeah. The devil can take and the flesh can take anything that's good and turn it into something that's not good. Yeah. All right. Hey, Rod. Yes. Concerning forgiveness, uh, Wiersbe said something good. He says, if, if you cannot forgive, you burn the bridge that you yourself have to cross. Mm. That's very true. <coughs> What is it? Remember, the Lord taught his prayer, our Father which art in heaven. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. 
as we forgive others. And um, God has forgiven us everything, so why in the world would we hold a grudge? No matter what they've done. Jesus hung on the cross, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, the people that are crucified. Has any of you had people done you wrong worse than we've done Jesus? Not hardly. All right. The, not only does he bring unity in the church, he matures the church. He chooses vocational servants. Look at Acts chapter 13, verses 2 to 3. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 to 3. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Okay, so in the church, uh, God chooses who the leaders are here. Uh, if the church is operating within the realm of Scripture, then you choose elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers that are used and missionaries that you send out or prepare pastors to send out. That is all the work of the Holy Spirit. And it becomes obvious to a church, to the people that are really walking with the Lord, yes, this person should be uh, he has a desire to go to the mission field, we think he should go. Or this young man has a desire to be a pastor, we think he should go. And set him apart for that ministry. Or this person is qualified to be an elder, and uh, those kind of things. And wives that support them. In this kind of thing. Any comments on that? I think if you've been around here a little bit, uh, for example, we hired a year ago, a little over a year ago, we hired Aaron. Anybody work with Aaron, you see? He probably has the gift, don't you think? And, and uh, it becomes apparent to us that the uh, Lord is working in his heart and so on. The cream comes to the top in the church. Not everybody's called to be an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. But we see those that have been. And so consequently, uh, we begin to look for them and examine their life and, and encouragingly bring them along to that point. He also selects area. Look at Acts chapter 16, verses... Uh, six to eight. Somebody want to read that? There's some interesting names in there, but not too bad. They passed through the Phrygian and the Galatian region, having been forgiven, forgiven by the Holy Spirit. Forbidden. Forbidden, thank you. Forbidden, that's a big difference. <laughs> forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. 
Yeah, there is it. Do they see the Macedonian vision? Yeah, that's coming up. Sorry. Why don't you read that while you're yeah. there? Yeah. Yep. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is a major decision, by the way. The gospel went to Europe, not to Asia. That was the choice God made. You and, you and I, I'm assuming most of us here, have European descent. And the gospel went to Europe as opposed to India, China. So Thomas went to uh, India, the Apostle Thomas. Disciple Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon? So did the other Thomas. He got back from Israel. Yeah, the other Thomas got back. It'll take us years to recover. <laughs> no, I, I can kid Thomas, but um, but the point of the Apostle Thomas did go to India, but the main thrust of the gospel went to Europe. Not to Africa, even though it did have a church in Africa. And Africa has been called, it's probably not politically correct anymore, but it was called the Dark Continent. Not so much because of the race of the people there, but because <coughs> of the lack of Christianity. So that was a choice made by the Sovereign God to go, to send them there. So God selects the area. I often think about that here at Countryside. I've been familiar with this church since it started, even before it started, when it was still south of Bradshaw in Council Church. And uh, so I've watched it. My dad and mom have been a part of it. My mom, my dad passed away before they moved here. But... Uh, I often think uh, think of it that they put this church on this corner. Mm -hmm. I'd put it here. That was of God. Mm -hmm. You know, this is easy access to uh, all over, and it doesn't have a related to a town per se. Our address is Hampton, but we're really not we're we're not in Hampton. So if you live in another town. You don't mind coming here because you're not in it from another town, which there used to be quite a bit of little town nationalism. I went to high school in Bradshaw and we didn't like the other towns when we played ball with them. And we liked some worse than others. But, but the point, of course, is we get people from all of these areas. And you're just, uh, you're not even a half mile off the highway. As soon as you get off the ramp, you're right here. And people drive by and see the church. So uh, God selects the area. And God in his sovereignty uh, selected this area and the people followed the Lord put it here. And this gas station went dry. <laughs> and they overhauled it and put a church here. And since we built that auditorium on a few years ago, it's not called Park and Gasson. 
That's what's so cool about it. Everybody knows where it's at, but there's no walls because we're spread so far out. Yeah. There's no walls. Right. It's cool. That's a good point, Eileen. It's like a city set on a hill. <laughs> and you're all welcome. There's no, uh, there's no denominational clique here. We're uh, free to serve the Lord. So we run our own affairs. The, uh, we're elder run and uh, elder leadership. And we don't uh, have to go to some town and figure out what they want us to do. We can go right to the Bible and do what we want to do. I really appreciate that. Also the Lord, the Spirit, upholds us during suffering. I, you could go all kinds of uh, places upholds us during it. Take a look at Acts 13, 49 to 52. Forty-nine to fifty-two. Think Paul had an inter had a boring ministry. No. Okay, read Acts thirteen forty-nine to fifty-two. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy. Wow, there's a big riot in the church to the point that they drove out the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that? Drove him out, Barnabas too. Paul goes out of, out of the city, shakes the dust off his feet. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit in the midst of this suffering. <clears throat> uh, we have a God that works it out. He resolves problems. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 28 and 29. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Very well. Okay, they had a big conference between the church at Antioch and the church at Jerusalem. The issue at stake was circumcision and eating meats, diets. The church at uh, Paul was on a missionary journey, went into Asia Minor. Many, many Gentiles came to know Jesus Christ. Paul did not demand circumcision. The Jewish church was hung up in circumcision. You can be saved 
And that's great, but you also have to be circumcised. And so this became an issue between the church at Antioch to the north of Jerusalem and to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And so a council, a conference, was decided. And the churches heard the arguments both ways. And it came to the conclusion that circumcision is not required for salvation. It is not something that is uh, have, imparts some spiritual grace or some spiritual blessing. If you want to, uh, that's optional. But it is not has nothing to do with the Christian faith or the purpose of the Christian faith. Other thing was the eating of meat. Ham sandwiches uh, versus hamburgers. <laughs> the ham sandwiches was the was not was the Antioch church. No pork <coughs> or other things uh, for the Antioch church, but down in Jerusalem, they were hung up in the dietary. And remember in Galatians, Paul rebukes Peter because Peter started eating only with the Jews rather than the Gentiles because of the diet. So this conference settled that. You can eat any meat you want to eat. It's not required. Circumcision is not required. But there are a couple things we want you to do. Abstain from fornication, illegal or unlawful sexual relationships, and eating meat with blood in it, and uh, what was the other one? Strangled. Pardon? Strangled. Any strangled. Yeah, anything strangled and idolatry. So uh, that was the agreement. So they resolved it. So they resolved it, and uh, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these three essentials. Always, churches always tendency in the flesh want to add burdens on churches uh, with some legalistic rules and so on and so forth. Yes, Brian. I, I just think the, I love this kind of section too because it gives you such a glimpse of what the churches, these two churches were, um, like their membership. You mm -hmm. have Gentiles who, I mean, look at these words, they're to abstain from <laughs> things that are strangled, fornicated, have blood in it, or idols. I mean, what kind of background are they saved from? And two, then you have the other church that are trying to uphold the law, mm -hmm. you know, who are Jews, and what does God do? He sees fit to bring them together. So whatever problems that, that do arise, if spirit-filled Christians sit down together, they can, they can resolve the problems. Yeah. Just like in marriage. If you have two Christians and you're fighting over the toothpaste lid, <laughs> you can sit down and resolve. Get two toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Yeah. You can resolve these problems. One way to keep it fresh is to pray together. Every day. Do not let the sun go down. We just read it earlier. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Settle it that night. You got crossways in the daytime. Settle it at night before you go to sleep. Be mature. And do it. Sometimes we've had uh, a difference. Mostly face fall. Uh, but we've had a difference. And uh, we, we made an agreement when we got married that we would pray together every night. But that meant that we resolved the difficulties of the day. And there were a couple nights we laid there for a while, not talking about it. And finally I decided, I'm the head of this home, and I have to bring this up. So I'll bring it up, and I want to find a way that I can bring it up without admitting guilt. <laughs> Been there, guys? Sure, yeah. But you got to talk. That's my marriage counseling for today. Okay, we passed out notes, and we'll start this topic, the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. First of all, at the time of salvation. What the Holy Spirit does at the time of, of salvation is He regenerates us. Take a look at John 3, 5. John 3, 5. We are regenerated. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay. It's a doctrine, uh, we've heard it colloquially, as being born again. Born over. And Nicodemus, who was the teacher of Israel, one of the, the leading theologians, did not understand this. You mean I've got to enter into my mother's womb and be born? So Jesus says he has to be born of water and of the Spirit. And I'm saved by the bell to explain <laughs> water. I'll give you a hint. It's not water birth. Some people have said this is a water birth. Uh, the Bible doesn't talk about that at all, but it goes back to Ezekiel. And it's water was used for what in the Old Testament? Cleansing. Washed in water. Ephesians 5.26, so that you might sanctify her by having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. The word cleanses like water. And Jesus, when he was washing the feet of the disciples, makes a very interesting statement. He says this. Jesus said to him, talking to Peter, He who has bathed 
needs only to wash his feet. And there's a spiritual lesson there. You have to have the once for all bath. And then, they wore sandals in those days. And when they would walk across a dirty street and come into somebody else's home, what would the host say? Wash your feet. Wash your feet. We would say today, what? Come in. Oh, we got new carpets. So when you come to our house, we have a water basin there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah, when we were in Israel, you know, before you worshipped at the temple or in the synagogue, you had to go through mikvah. I mean, the Jews did. Because to be purified before you went to worship. You know, and I think it kind of speaks to us because we can, before we come to worship, we must be ready to worship. I would say so, and I would say a good time to do that is when you sit down before you worship. Say, okay, Lord, I, is there any sin I need to confess here? I want to walk, worship you in truth, in the spirit of truth and honesty. And if I need to straighten out a problem with somebody else, give me the strength and wisdom to do it. God's people said. Father, help us today, and may we truly have a time of worship. And may we really think this morning things over what was really accomplished when Jesus Christ hung on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.